Welcome to Extra Innings, the Phillies podcast from the Philadelphia Inquirer. I'm Scott Lauber. And I'm Bob Brookover. I'm still going last in our introductions, even though uh, Baby Breen isn't here. Yeah, I was going to say, so noticeably absent this week is Matt Breen, but uh, he has a very good excuse. He's a new daddy. So we want to say congratulations to Matt and Tara on the birth of Maxwell Joseph Breen. And uh, his arrival last Friday, Bob, I think qualifies without question as the best news of the week, of the month, and maybe of the year. Yeah, uh, of the year, for no doubt. Without the kid is huge. The kid just, the kid's like fifteen pounds already. <laughs> I know, right? I know. Well, he's definitely going to have Matt's height. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah. Oh yeah. Matt, Matt fears he might have his athletic skills, but you know, as I told Matt, don't sell yourself short. You're a tremendous slouch. I don't know. With a name like Maxwell Joseph Breen, how could he not be like a power hitter in the middle of the order? You know, it, it is a great name. It is a great name. Maxwell Breen. I really like the name. It's a phenomenal name. So congratulations <laughs> to them. And the good news for Matt, I think is that uh, he's going to have a lot of time now, like at weird hours of the night to listen to this podcast. Cause you know, he can, he, he can put it on during in between feedings, you know, in the middle of the night and whatnot. And when he's up with Maxwell crying at night, hopefully not crying too much at night. But, you know, I mean, you're up weird hours when you become a new dad. Yeah, he's going to realize he's also when he's listening, he's also going to realize, oh, my gosh, they don't even need me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, you know, <laughs> just wait until we're into like week four without him and we really, <laughs> we'll have this down. Oh, yeah. Week four. Let's, let's not think about week four. So let's, the question, try, let's try to get through a week now. Right. So the question that I posed back in March when uh, Matt and I were standing outside Spectrum Field waiting for the Phillies to come out after their their team meeting the day after the, se- the spring training got postponed was what will come first, opening day or baby Breen? So Maxwell won that race. Without baby Breen, one or no. So now the question becomes when, you know, what game will Matt's first game, what game number will Matt's first game be? Will he be there? Will he be able to be there for opening day? Will he be there for, you know, game 15, game 20? Um, MLB, Bob made a, um, its initial proposal this week to the players union for a return to play plan. There are several issues to get through. I think there are two big ones. Uh, there's the health and safety issue, and there's the issue of player pay. And it appears, at least in the early going, that they are prioritizing health over wealth. They are uh, looking into the health and safety measures first, which I think is a wise move. Um, and, and then they'll deal with the financial aspect after that. What's been your initial read I, I guess on what we what we've heard and what we know from the, these first few days of of meetings between the two sides. Well, I mean, at, at least publicly, Sean Doolittle has thrown the first pitch in this uh, in that part of the negotiations by raising all the points um, that need to be addressed for, in order for them to get back on the field, and you know, it's a interesting question: what what's going to be the more difficult negotiation? Uh, with the players trying to get through the uh, health and welfare part of this or the financial part of this, um, because neither one is going to be easy. Um, you know, every point that 
Sean Doolittle raised was valid and needs to be addressed. Uh, you know, you, people tend not to think about all the essential workers that go into, and this is even without fans, go into putting the product on the field. You know, there's so much stuff happens behind the scenes before the nine guys take the field to start a ball game. Uh, and keeping them safe and keeping them, um, you know, from spreading a virus or from getting the virus, you know, you, you need so many tests, uh, you need so much protocol. Uh, and then you talk about these guys are going to have to take flights and buses to get to each place. Uh, there's going to be hotel workers involved. You know, th- there's so much to deal with here that, it, it, and, and as you've pointed out in podcasts in, a, in the past, you know, they want to use South Korea as a model. And A, it's not a great model for the U.S. because there's so many more cases here. But if we want to take anything from South Korea away, now all of a sudden there's a bunch of people from a super spreader getting viruses in South Korea. Um, you know, we've, we've learned in recent days. Uh, so this, just getting past the health and welfare part to get to the financial part is going to be really difficult. Yeah, so let's rewind a bit. You, uh, you mentioned Sean Doolittle. So on Monday, uh, the, um, the owners agreed to put this proposal forward to the players union and on Tuesday um, that that proposal was, was brought to the, brought to the union. Now, Sean Doolittle is the, is a reliever um, oftentimes the closer for the Washington nationals. He's a Shawnee uh, high school uh, grad from South Jersey. um, And one of the more thoughtful, I think uh, players you'll find uh, in major league baseball. He, um, he posted a Twitter thread uh, I won't go through it all. It's like seven or eight parts, but I encourage people to look it up. Um, it was focused entirely on the the health and, and welfare aspect of all of this, which is, I think, where the focus should be. Um, you know, understandably, the the financial aspect, the back and forth over how much players are going to get paid, that's going to get a lot of attention. I'm not saying it's not a very sticky issue. There are trust issues between those two sides, the players and the owners that go back 40 years. Um, When you talk about revenue sharing, that's a non-starter for the players in most cases. Um, It's, it's going to get ugly probably when they, when they get to discussing that. Uh, I don't think that's where they, where their heads should be right now though, because if they don't get, like you said, if they don't get through the, the, the health and safety aspect of this, the financial aspect won't matter. And so Sean Doolittle posted this very thoughtful thread where he goes into, you know, the, a lot of these issues that have been on my mind and I know on your mind and on the minds of all of us who've been following this and covering this, um, you know, from uh, how many tests are going to be needed um, and not just for the players, as you said, Bob, for the, for the people who work at, at ballparks who have to be there uh, to put on a game even without fans. There needs to be security. There's going to be grounds crew. Doolittle mentions umpires, game day staff, TV and media, players, and, uh, players, coaches, um, equipment people, clubhouse staff, other clubhouse staff. Um, and, then, and then you get into the pilots who have to fly the planes that the teams are going to travel on or the bus drivers that are going to take them to some of these places. Um, these are all essential personnel. Uh, he mentions the fact that a lot of players, including himself, 
have family members who have underlying health conditions. Doolittle's wife is asthmatic. Um, and so if he's going to the ballpark and going back to work and then coming home at the end of the day, does he put his wife at risk? Um, players want answers to these questions. And in the absence of a vaccine, and it's going to be a while before we have a vaccine, uh, all of these issues have to be hashed out. And I've said it before, and I'll reiterate, MLB can put forth a plan and put protocols in place, but some of this is out of their control. Not only do they need states and municipalities to go along with this plan and give the green light, but then the virus itself is going to have a lot to say about this. Does it, does it abate during the summer and then come back in the fall like a lot of doctors and scientists think it might? Um, just because maybe it's past its peak in places like New York and New Jersey doesn't mean it's past its peak everywhere. So, so much from a health and medical perspective, Bob, and Doolittle covers so much of it in, in, in his, um, in his uh, Twitter thread. Right. And, then, you know, you think about a place like uh, Los Angeles or California and the state universities are saying we're not going to open in the fall. And, you know, in, at least in, in, you know, in person with students back on campus. How do you know? How do you open a baseball season or a football season, for that matter, or reopen basketball or hockey, when the educational institutions are saying we can't open back up yet? I mean, there's there's so much involved, um, you know, and you know, no matter what plan, no matter how good the plan is, um, you know, at, at some point something's going to go awry with that plan. I mean, as Mike Tyson used to say, everybody's got a plan that they get a punch in the face. You know, what happens when that punch in the face comes? Uh, you know, how do they react to that? Um, one person, and it, it, one of the things Doolittle said, one person getting this thing and, and perhaps, God forbid, dying, um, you know, is, is one too many. And, you know, it'll be talked about forever uh, if that were to happen. So it's, it's you know... <laughs> I'm going to believe there's a season when I see one. I'm, I'm still hoping that there is one because I would, I would really like to think that they could pull this off without anybody uh, getting the virus, which is probably impossible or, or dying. Um, just to bring up something though, I will say this, that study that baseball did with the, you know, the antibody study shocked me uh, mm -hmm. at how, at how few people had the antibodies. But having said that, the virus itself keeps shocking me in terms of now we're talking about kids can get this apparently related, but not symptomatically related. Right. Uh, you know, there, there's so much still unknown about the virus itself. You know, it's I, 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 I got to say, I, I might I, I will be surprised if we play baseball this season, given all that we just discussed right here. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The thing um, that this related uh, issue that is popping up now in children, I think they're saying it's similar to something called Kawasaki syndrome. And I had never heard of that until I had my son, my son was um, a year old and he had a, a virus um, and we, we took him in to the, uh, to the doctor, actually to the hospital just to get checked out. And, you know, in sort of like ruling things out, they brought that up to us. And we were like, what's this about? It's scary. Um, it's, it's kind of a respiratory thing. And, and it's, it's, as my understanding at the time was, it's kind of rare. But, you know, yeah, if that's an offshoot, or if that's a way that this affects children, that makes this 
even scarier than it already was. It, it really does. I mean, there's so much, you know, and, and, and then, you know, if you can somehow get past all this and figure out a plan that everybody can agree on, uh, to, and then you get to the financial part, uh, I'll ask you, how difficult is that part going to be to get through? Well, I don't think it's going to be easy. Um, as I said, I mean, it's 35, 40 years of distrust between the players and the owners. And so if the owners uh, are proposing a 50-50 revenue share for one year, I don't think there's enough uh, uh, built up trust between the two sides for the players to, to believe that it's going to be a one-off. You know, they've got a CBA to negotiate next year. And, you know, I think they're worried about how much to give. Um, and if they give too much, will they ever get it back? They're already, the union is already being criticized for negotiating a bad CBA the last time. Um, there are a lot of issues there. I just, I, I keep coming back and maybe I'm naive, but I keep coming back to the notion that, you know, if they can get past all the uh, health and safety uh, issues that are going to be on the table, you know, if they can somehow come up with a, with a plan that has protocols in place that reduce the risk. I mean, look, I talked to um, Dr. Zeke Emanuel last week from uh, University of Pennsylvania, and he was making the point that, you know, there's never going to be a zero risk scenario. Like in life, there are always risks. Um, and, and in life with coronavirus, there will be risks. Um, but if you can reduce them dramatically, and if they can come up with a way, I keep thinking that there's no way that, you know, the owners and the players are going to let money stand in the way of having a, of having a season. I don't, I don't think the public will tolerate that. I think that there would be a tremendous backlash to that, that baseball might not ever recover from. If they can't have a season because they can't have a season, the virus doesn't allow it. Well, that's a different story. I mean, look across the country industries are trying to figure out how to go back to work. And in that sense, baseball is no different, but yeah, well, um, I'll, I'll be the devil's advocate a little bit here though. Uh, how old were you in 1994? Oh, I know. I, know. Uh, I mean, they blew um, up a world series, right? And I, I lived through it and couldn't believe it as it was happening, you know, and not, not, not only did they blow up the world series, they staged a six week fake spring training the following year and think about the cost of what that was to go through that trade to try to break the union. Um, you know, so I, I wouldn't put anything past these two sides. Um, you know, I, I, I wrote a column earlier week, Monday for the Tuesday newspaper, uh, you know, basically saying that COVID-19 has accelerated everything because the, the, the other two things that are on the table and are probably going to be approved are 10, 14 playoff teams instead of 10, uh, seven from each league, and the DH in the National League. Those things are coming anyway, and they're not going away. But it also accelerated this financial uh, showdown, at least the start of it. Um, you know, it, this that as you pointed out, the, the tension was already there. And how much are these two sides willing to dig in you know, if, if these if the fourteen team playoffs and the DH aren't going away, uh, do, are the play, players also saying, well, then if we do if we give into this, this isn't going away either. Um, you know, so oh yeah, it's, I mean, it's, look, it's, look, these are great fears of the the, the players union. Um, 
And I don't necessarily know that they're wrong, but I do know this because I remember covering the strike and the uh, fake spring training. And it's hard to get people on your side when you're, when you're making as much as the players make. And, you know, even if the, you, you know, people know the owners make a lot of money too, but they see the players as the, I think they often see the players as the villains in, in these labor things. They do. And I, I'm not sure I understand that um, completely. Look, I mean, you know, players make a lot of money. They make less money than the owners make. They also have a more finite amount of time in their lives to make that money. Uh, and they're the ones that are incurring the majority of the risk here and coming back. Owners don't have to go to the ballpark. Owners don't have to be around other people. Uh, they can sit in their homes and watch the games just like everybody else can. But the players are the ones that are taking on that risk. And so from that standpoint, I understand where they're coming from when they say that, uh, wait a second, you know, we already agreed to have prorated salaries and whatnot. Now you want us to take another pay cut on top of that and uh, put ourselves and potentially our families at risk by going back to work. And, and that's a difficult pill to swallow. So you know, I do think both sides are going to have to give here. That's how it always is in a negotiation. But, you know, I, I don't know how I, I mean, I think I'm certainly I'm certainly more um, I, I certainly see where the players are coming from uh, in terms of their resistance here. It's not pure greed that's dictating it. It's it's there are a lot of other factors at play. And I would take 94 and turn it back on on you and say, you know, that was that was bad. And there are a lot of it it ticked off a lot of people and a lot of fans either uh, didn't come back or it took them a while to come back to baseball, but we didn't have close to 20% unemployment in 94 and we didn't have this global pandemic bearing down on everyone. And we didn't have people enduring the kinds of hardships they're enduring. Now, if owners and players allow money to get in the way, uh, if they can, like we said, clear all the physical, uh, uh, the, the um, safety and, and health hurdles, to get on the field and then it, it doesn't happen because of money. That's, I think, unforgivable in the eyes of a lot of fans. It, it's, it might be the death sentence for the game. Uh, if, That's if, why I don't think it'll happen. I, I, they'll, they'll I would like to think it, 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 it wouldn't happen. I really would. Um, but there, it's, there's going to be some ugly battles before it doesn't happen. Um, I, I think that's for sure. Um, you know, um, to, to, to move on from that in our in the where everything is perfect world well not perfect but everything's good enough that they can actually do the, go through with this plan to get them on the field um, let me ask you this what do you, what do you think about the the a 14 team playoff and B the designated hitter in the national league yeah let's let's get into it because um, on field issues there, there are going to be changes to the game um, you like you mentioned, uh, Universal DH, the expanded playoffs, um, probably a one-time only but divisional realignment uh, situation where the Phillies might find themselves playing against NL East and AL East teams in a 10-team division. Um, uh, expanded rosters, you know, we've heard maybe 30-man rosters with a 20-man taxi squad, and you could probably um, you consider that taxi squad like a triple-A team. Um, and, and all of that, I think the ones that are getting, seem to be getting the most attention are the expanded playoffs in the universal DH, 
um, I'll, I'll take the I'll take the playoffs. You know, I think it's I think it's interesting. Um, I don't I I don't think I'm I don't think I'm necessarily in favor of expanded playoffs. I'm not a traditionalist um, on most of these things. I'm I'm up for experimentation and for making the game. Uh, bringing the game up to date a little bit in, in a lot of areas. But with this, I mean, I've always liked the fact that baseball's postseason means more because not everybody makes it. You know, it's not the NHL where half the team gets uh, – half the league gets into the postseason. So the, the regular season, as long as it is, has always had a lot of meaning. Um, and I think if you start to introduce, you know, 14 teams and – you know, it's a 30-team league, so it's almost half the half the league gets in. I, I just, I, I don't, I I understand that the the postseason it's all about money, and the postseason uh, is a huge, huge revenue producer for the game. And uh, if you could have a selection show where the the second place teams would, in theory, pick who they want to play, there would be intrigue there. Uh, it's, it's just a little too radical for me. It it's it it would be watched though I think especially by no, baseball would. by baseball fans they, and you know it would people would argue this is bringing baseball into the twenty first century this is you know the NCAA for years only had forty eight teams and only had thirty two teams at one point and then it went to sixty four and then they expanded beyond that and did they go too far well according to the ratings of the NCAA tournament no they didn't people are very upset that they didn't get that tournament this year. Um, yeah, you know, I, 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 do, I don't, I don't love it, but I would watch it. That is the best way I could put it. You know, I don't love it, but I, you know, if, if the Phillies were the number two team in the NL, um, it would be quite an event to watch. <laughs> right. Or yeah. if they were, if they were not and somebody and the number two team said, yeah, I'd rather play the Phillies than right. the Braves right what kind of chip is on the Phillies shoulder at that point when they go into that series I mean look you know quote-unquote traditionalists did not like the wild card idea the wild card has proven to be wildly successful Uh, I I happen to think that the the one game you know wild card game is incredibly exciting that's one thing I've never covered uh, in baseball and I would love to because I think the drama would be tremendous it's great to watch on tv I'm a big wild card fan, so maybe this would ultimately grow on me. But like I said, I just, I just think a, I just think it waters down the regular season a little bit. It um, and the, this, if you're going to go through a, a six month regular season, there should be high stakes to that season. I mean, the the one great thing about the wild card is if if you're the wild card, uh, you know, you're, you're at a disadvantage going into the playoffs. There is a tremendous advantage still in winning your division. The wild card did not change that. So, uh, you know, the wild card has been successful, but, you know, I think that you could go too far with this. And I wonder whether this is just a little bit too, too far. Well, it was funny because when, when the, the expanded playoff thing came out and while we were still in spring training in February, uh, and I happened to be just chatting with John Middleton that day, and he was uh, very much in favor of the idea of picking your team. And, I, and he, he was very transparent in where that was coming from uh, in that he was thinking about the year that 2011, the Phillies set a franchise record for wins with 102 wins, should have had 110. They fell off, the, fell off a little bit toward the end of the season. Um, 
but he would have, you know, it was clear that he would have said, no, we don't want the Cardinals. Uh, and I forget what the other options would have been, but um, we'd rather play them. We'd than this team that hasn't lost in September. Right. Uh, so, and it, it's interesting. It was interesting that he, he felt that way. Um, you know, I, I am a traditionalist, but I, I kind of like the idea of an expanded playoff. I, I really do. I, I, I like it a lot more than, than the idea of the designated hitter in a national league, even though it's amazing that we've gone a half a century with the two leagues playing uh, under different rules. Yeah, I, um, I, I, so I've been lucky enough to cover a team in the American League and, and a team in the National League on a, on a daily basis during my time as a baseball writer. And, and, and maybe the greatest DH ever. <laughs> yeah, I mean, David Ortiz is in the conversation with Edgar Martinez, right, for the best DH ever. And I, um, so, so I'm not, I'm not going to dig in on that. I, I think that, I, I think that the universal DH was coming probably in 2022 after the next CBA was negotiated. So I've been, I've been sort of expecting it. I like the strategy as much as anybody else, like in the national league, you know, when do you hit for your pitcher and, and all of those things. Um, but I don't think the DH ruined the game. I'm not a, I'm not a national league forever kind of guy. I, I, I know fans love offense in the game. And I think if you add another hitter into the mix, uh, it certainly does add offense into the game. Uh, it's great news for uh, guys like J.D. Martinez and Edwin Encarnacion, who are DHs, who are great hitters, uh, who now uh, will have more opportunity, I think, to lengthen their careers uh, when they become free agents, as Martinez might uh, as early as this coming winter if he opts out of his contract. He will now have 30 teams bidding for him rather than just 15. Um, so I think it, it injects money into the game. Not that the game needs more money, but, you know, of course, no one's going to no one's going to balk at that uh, on the especially on the player side. So, you know, I've seen it. Uh, I've seen it work in the American League. I've seen uh, great DHs over the years uh, who've had great careers in that I really consider it a position. I'm not somebody who, when the Hall of Fame voting comes up, says, no, I will not vote. I would, you know, I voted for Edgar Martinez every year I could vote. And um, it wasn't Edgar Martinez's fault that he became a DH. That's what he was turned into by his team and his league. And, you know, I think, I think the DH is fine. I think both, both leagues, it's high time that they both play by the same rules. So I'm going to embrace the universal DH. And I think, Ultimately, National League fans will grow to like it too. It's it's an interesting thing. The most fascinating DH in the game right now, and he was the only one that qualified for the batting title last year, was Nelson Cruz, who the Twins signed, you know, pretty much on the cheap, and he finished ninth in the MVP voting, helped them win a division, forty-one home runs, one hundred and eight RBIs. Uh, he's a guy who made one All-Star team in his twenties. And has made five since he turned 32. Was never in the top ten in the MVP voting uh, in his 20s. Has been what, one, two, three, four times since he turned 30, and now he's 38 years old. And there's no end in sight to his career. Um, so from that standpoint, it, it creates a, a very exciting uh, dynamic, you know, and, and it can bring you back to our what if series. What if Jim Tomey 
Uh, what if there was a designated hitter um, when Jim Tomey was here? Um, he would have finished his career in Philadelphia. But, you know, he would have he, – he, they wouldn't have had to trade him away. They would have been able to put Ryan Howard at first base and have a lineup with Jim Tomey and Ryan Howard in the middle of it. And maybe that World Series would have came to Philadelphia even sooner than 2008. Yeah, I mean, just for kicks in our, in our uh, weekly newsletter, I looked up um, – you know, who the Phillies' most frequent DH has been over the years in, in their interleague games, played in AL ballparks. And, you know, it was, you know, no surprise. It's Ryan Howard, um, who made 29, who, who had 119 at-bats as a DH for the Phillies. Who their most productive DH was, no surprise, was Jim Tomey. Well, maybe a little bit of a surprise was Jim Tomey, who had nine home runs as a DH for the Phillies. And it does make you think, right? Like, what if you know, we wouldn't have had that conversation about, oh, could Ryan Howard play left field or, you know, could could Jim Tomey move back to third base, which was never going to happen. Or, you know, could could they was there a way that they could finagle both of them in the lineup? They they wouldn't have had to make that choice. Of course, they could have had them both. And could you imagine a uh, three, four or a four five of, of Howard and um, Howard and Tomey? It would have been put put Utley, put Utley in the middle of that. <laughs> yeah. Right. It was. Yeah. Tremendous. And um, Pat Burrell's know, still around. I mean, th- th- how many home runs would that team have been? <laughs> yeah. And Jason Worth was first coming into his own, uh, right. you know, uh, and, and, you know, so, yeah, I mean, it would have been just, it would have been, you know, as Charlie Manuel, I think, would say, I mean, it would have been, it would have been probably, um, it would have been the Indians teams that he had, which, you know, I, I think had, had, you know, had slightly better offenses even than those Phillies teams because of the extra hitter. And it would have been tremendous. And, and, you know, you were saying before we got started here that, I mean, you took a look, I think, for for uh, an upcoming story at the way the DH has been used over the years. And while I covered the Red Sox and they were a team that had David Ortiz in the lineup every day as their DH, it's evolved over time in the American League to where a lot of teams no longer have uh, a set DH they use that spot to kind of cycle guys through. And I think as we, as we think ahead, you know, we let ourselves believe maybe for a second that there's going to be a season here. How would the Phillies employ the DH? I kind of think that's how they'll do it. Like, Hey, if Andrew McCutcheon needs, needs to get off his feet and rest his knee, uh, he could move from left field to DH for, for a day. If, if Real Muto um, needs a break behind the plate, he could DH that day. You've got Jay Bruce who could, who could DH quite often. You've got Alec Bohm, if he's added to the roster, could be a right-handed hitting DH. Uh, I don't necessarily think you're going to see a lot of National League teams, especially, you know, all of a sudden materialize a a, a hitter who could be their DH every single day. I think they're going to use it to kind of get guys a little bit of extra rest, and, and that's how the position's evolved over the years. Right, and, you know, Jay Bruce might end up being the guy that you use the most of that, but... It also gives you a chance to give Reese Hoskins, you know, if you want to keep his bat in the lineup, um, and Bryce Harper, if you want to keep his bat in the lineup and play, do something a little bit different, um, you know, it, it, it creates a an entire – and the Phillies are kind of a team, you know, because Bruce is up in years, uh, McCutcheon's up in years. Uh, you know, those two guys, it, it gives them a chance to get off their feet and still play some in the outfield. Um, so I, I, I agree with you. You're probably, I would guess that Jay Bruce would get the, the majority of the bats uh, as the DH. 
over the course of the season. But the Alec Bohm part is really intriguing because there's no minor league season. There's no reason not to have him on your roster now. Um, you know, so let's go. Let's see what Alec Bohm looks like in the big leagues. Uh, that will create a real excitement, I think, among Phillies fans that his his big league debut will be accelerated to to this season. I agree. I think that's that's a positive note to end on. You know, like let's imagine there's a season and and who would be the Phillies DH. I think if that's what we were talking about and discussing, I think a lot of people would be very happy. I think ending on a positive note's a great idea. In honor of Maxwell Joseph Breen, we'll end on a positive note, and uh, we will um, be back with you again uh, next week. In the meantime. Uh, please keep up with uh, or check out our, our work at Inquirer.com in the newspaper, uh, the Philadelphia Inquirer, and um, uh, check out our newsletter, Extra Innings, which comes into your inbox weekly for Bob Brookover and uh, uh, Matt Breen back at home. I'm Scott Lauber. Thanks for joining us.